0: Well, it's wonderful to be here with you all this morning as we celebrate our risen Savior. You know, I was thinking earlier about um, some of the movies we watch, some of the books that we read, the children's stories that we grew up with. It's become very commonplace for us to see stories where people come back from the dead. Uh, your, favorite, your favorite movies, your favorite characters die off because an actor decides they want to move on with their career, and then they decide they want to come back to your favorite TV show, so they bring them back somehow. It's become our family joke that when somebody dies in one of our shows, we, we don't actually really believe they're dead until we see it and uh, until the show is actually over because, because more than likely they're going to bring them back somehow. And so I think in our culture, we've kind of become dulled to the idea that, that someone actually could rise from the dead because we see it all the time in, in very vivid color and very. When we come to celebrate Easter, however, the resurrection, the resurrection on resurrection, resurrection Sunday, we celebrate a real man who was publicly executed in front of hundreds and in front of thousands of people. People saw him die. And, and people saw him raised from the dead. And so when we come to celebrate on this Sunday, we're not just, resurre- we're not just celebrating the a, a resurrection of some favorite character. We're celebrating the resurrection of a real man who in real history died and rose again. And so what a wonderful occasion for us to to celebrate what god has done and uh, we're glad that you're here with us this morning as we worship him before we go to god's word let's go to the lord of the word and let's let's pray together father in heaven we we come before you and we we celebrate that jesus christ rose from the grave we celebrate that this was real history a real man who was witnessed by hundreds Thousands saw Him die and hundreds touched Him and saw Him and spoke with Him and ate with Him. And A real event in history that changed lives. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so we thank You. Thank You not only that He conquered death, but we thank You for the, the incredible implications this makes in our own lives. We thank You how You have changed our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done and what He's done to, to save us from our sin. We thank You for Your Son who died in our place, who was buried, and who rose again on the third day. I pray that as we turn to to Your Word this morning and consider the implications and the importance of this resurrection, I just pray that You would change our hearts. I pray that You would fill me with Your Spirit. I pray that You would soften our hearts, open our ears. Lord, help us to apply these things to our lives in a way that perhaps we never have before. It's in His name we pray, Amen. So facts are stubborn things. Uh, In in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte escaped from exile. He returned to power and he led a united coalition. um, uh, A united coalition began to end his reign. And he was met on the field by an allied army led by the Duke of Wellington. There's a legend that after the Battle of Waterloo, a message was dispatched across the English Channel. But on that morning when that message was dispatched, the fog moved in and the message was obscured. And what was conveyed in England that day was just the brief message, Wellington defeated. The people were dismayed as all their hopes rested on the outcome of that day and the outcome of that battle. But later, once the fog lifted, the last word of that obscured message was also communicated across the English Channel. Napoleon... Wellington defeated Napoleon. Facts can be distorted in the news if the news is not complete. Isn't that true? <laughs> You've never seen that before, Craig? <laughs> what had begun as a day of disheartenment ended with a great rejoicing and with great cheer. On Friday morning, on Friday evening, we, we briefly considered a passage from, I, I was calling Friday evening, I, I, was, I greeted you all here for the Good Friday service, I think Angie said I said it up here too, I said good morning to everybody, we, we come into this room and I, it, all, all of a sudden it's just morning no matter what time of day it is. And so, from the time I said it, I think several other people were saying good morning as well. But it was evening and we met together. On Friday evening, we briefly considered a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4. through And it contains the words of another message that was delivered. News of first importance, it's called. In it are the words that brought grief and dismay to the disciples so long ago. He died. This was betrayed. And crucified on a cross, it was for them a, a message of, of crushing defeat. All of their hopes had rested on this man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was their Messiah, He was their King. They had listened to His words. He proclaimed words that they, they hung on to. He spoke like nobody had ever spoken before. And He healed the blind, the deaf, and the lame. He performed miracles in front of their eyes. He brought life and light into their lives. But now darkness had descended upon that hour because their Savior had died. We're also told that He was buried. He had cried out on the cross, it is finished. And after He died, they placed His body in a tomb and it was sealed. It was sealed in a way that uh, it, it, was, it was guarded. There, there was nothing that was going to get through that seal and through those guards. It was, it was guarded like no other man had been guarded in a tomb before. The crushing blow was indeed finished, and the man whom they loved was now gone. Their king was shut off by a large stone before he ever took his place on a throne. But Scripture and history and changed lives declare that the news of Jesus' death does not end with those two words, died, buried, 1 Corinthians 15 declares, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so a message of despair turned into a message of hope and victory. He died, He was buried, and He was raised. And this is the message of the Gospel. This is the message of the good news that we preach yet today. His death paid the penalty for your sin and for mine, but without the resurrection, I want you to understand this, without the resurrection, Jesus' death and burial would have ended like that of every other religious leader who had gained a following in the world before Him and afterwards. Confucius has a lot of good things to say. There's a guy who shared some bits of wisdom and some things that people have lived by, but his message does not bring salvation. And you can go to his tomb today. People go there all the time. His tomb is still occupied by the dust that he left behind. Muhammad sought a throne, and he also gained a great following, a people whom he united under his sword. But in the end, he also left behind a tomb. And his followers come today to pay homage. But all that they find there is an occupied grave. For all the other leaders of the world, the message is died, buried. However, with Jesus, we believe in a different ending, for he was raised from the dead. This morning, I didn't hear anybody say it. He was raised from the dead. And he was raised indeed. (laughs) This morning, I would like to consider two questions. First, is the resurrection really that important? The message of Christianity offers a different message than all the other religions in the world. It proclaims a message in which death has been defeated and Christ has won the victory over sin. Brian just read for us a passage about our resurrection, about our final victory, and none of that can be accomplished if Jesus is still in the grave because how can we be raised from the dead if Jesus Himself could not conquer death for Himself? You do not need to achieve your own righteous standing before God, we're told, because it has already been finished. Jesus didn't say, I am finished, when He was on the cross, but He said, it is finished. And you cannot earn your own forgiveness and G- because Jesus has already paid the price and sealed it by raising Himself from the dead. But there's a second question I'd like us to consider, and we're going to consider this one first. Is there really a historical basis on which we can base this most incredible of claims? This isn't just a story that we pass on to our children. It's not something we just have our kids come up and sing about. It's a real event, real resurrection that took place of a man who was crucified publicly and 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 people witnessed that resurrection a man rose from the dead people witnessed his lifeless body and they put him in a tomb if his body is still there or someone else then i I have a bold command that i would like you to consider if his body is still in the grave then go back to bed sleep in and and it's sunday Go go, enjoy this, this day and stop listening to a preacher ramble on about a story that's no more real than some overgrown lop-eared bunny who leaves candy for your kids. If He's not risen from the dead, then there's no reason for you to be here. If Jesus is dead, then I want out. Because He's not accomplished victory, if that's the case. But if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, then that changes life. It changes the way you live. It changes what you believe. It changes everything. And that makes life worth living. Truly living. If he's alive, then when some terrorist walks into my school or my church and he holds a gun to my head and asks, Christ or our leader, then I will boldly hold on to Jesus and proudly bear his name because all the other leaders of this world are still in a box. But my Jesus is alive. I invite you to turn once again to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul answers these two questions. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is indeed important and there is proof for the claim that the church has held for 2,000 years. First note with me the three proofs that this chapter offers for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, two nights ago we celebrated communion and we declared our united faith in a God who is pleased to die in our place. You have to understand that He was pleased to die in our place. The Trinity made a decision that the Son of God would come into this world, He would take on human flesh, and He would die on a cross to take our sins upon Himself. We live in a world that has disregarded the definition of sin. It has relabeled Jesus and redefined what He came to do, and it distorts what it means to be a Christian. We must remember the good news, the message of the Gospel. But the world also casts into doubt the reality of the resurrection. But I want to make no mistake. The first reason that we can believe in the resurrection is that the Scripture has declared it. The Scripture has declared it. Now, now to many, that sounds like circular reasoning. We, we believe in the resurrection because the Bible says it, and the Bible says it because the resurrection. Um, to many, that sounds like circular reasoning. And if someone can show, show me that the Scripture is proven false... than than it would be. But in my 40 years as a Christian, I have studied this book. I have read it. I have examined its claims. I have searched it out. I have learned its languages. And to this day, I have not found one statement that it makes of which I can say this book is false. Over and over and over again, it has proven to be accurate in its claims, both historical and theological. And as time goes by, and with every single turn of the archaeologist's spade, Its claims are shown to be true more and more over and over and over again. This is a book we can trust. Not just because it's the words of men. Not just because some guys had some great ideas and they wrote some things down. We can do that with... You can read Plato and Aristotle and and Confucius and all these other leaders of the world and they can tell you a lot of great things. But these are words unlike any of those men's because these are the words of, of God Himself. This is a book that we can trust. And this is a book that is like no other because it's words are the very words of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-4, through Paul reminds the Christians of the good news that was preached to them. And he declares that not only did Jesus die for our sins according to the Scriptures, but He also was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus and the the apostles, they, they were constantly referring back to the Old Testament Scriptures. Many times, over and over and over again, they demonstrated that Jesus. It had been prophesied that Jesus had 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 been prophesied to die, but not only had the Old Testament prophesied that he would die, but the Old Testament also prophesied his resurrection. And therefore, not only does the Bible give us an account of his resurrection, but the Scripture has foretold it hundreds of years before he died. I want you to imagine an event taking place, a worldwide changing event taking place today that you can read about. That was written sometime in the Middle Ages. That's how long ago uh, some of these things. Genesis three fifteen was written by Moses, uh, a good fourteen hundred years before Jesus came to this, this earth. Psalm chapter twenty three. Excuse me, Isaiah chapter fifty three. Psalm chapter twenty two. You can read these passages. I've listed a sampling of passages in your notes from the Scripture that foretold the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And so if this book is what it claims to be, 1 Corinthians tells us the Word of God, then you can believe in the resurrection because the Scripture has declared it, both by predicting it and by giving an account of it and what took place. But the second proof that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about for the resurrection is that history testifies to it. Now, I'd like to remind you of a story that I've shared with you before because I think it illustrates what I mean by historical proof. Uh, the, date, the date was November 22, 1963, and on that day, John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was in a parade. He was traveling by a motorcade through the streets of Dallas, and he was sitting next to his wife, Jacqueline, and at 12.30 p.m., a man named Lee Harvey Oswald drew his bow and arrow in quick succession, fired three razor-sharp arrows, one which pierced the body of the President, and led to his death. Right? Some of you twitched a little bit when I said (laughs) bow. You reacted the moment that I mentioned that he had arrows. Why? What's wrong with that? I I believe it firmly. What if I believe it? Truth for me, right? You see, you you know that history is different than this. But if I said to you that you've learned history wrong, the president wasn't killed by a rifle, he was shot by a bow and arrow. How could I convince you? Is there anything I could do to convince you? Hopefully not. There's not because there are clear rules for determining the historicity of certain events. One of these rules is that that of eyewitness testimony which provides evidence for the truth of an event. Kennedy's assassination has been the subject of many conspiracy theories, but practically none of those theories tell us that he was killed with a bow and arrow. They all agree he was killed with a, a bullet from a rifle. They agree on this because hundreds of people watched it happen. Many of you saw that in this room, you saw it and you witnessed it on television. There were people that are still alive that were there when it took place. And they can tell you, he wasn't killed with an arrow. In the same way, solid historical evidence has been presented for the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a public execution. Thousands of people saw this happen. The evidence far surpasses the reliability of proving that Alexander the Great conquered the ancient world, and yet we don't question that, do we? Do any of you believe that Alexander didn't exist? Do any of us believe that Alexander the Great never went on his, his trip with his army and conquered the world in three years? History tells that to us, and that witnesses, but far fewer than that were, there were for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The evidence for Jesus Christ's resurrection far surpasses the accounts of the assassination of Julius Caesar. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ exceeds the evidence for many of the battles even in our own country's history. Which is so much more recent. But you don't hear, the, you don't hear anyone challenge the historicity of Alexander or Julius Caesar because the historicity of those people and those events have been established by accepted and are accepted based on universal standards for historical proof. If you apply those same historical standards to the death of Jesus Christ, to the burial of Jesus Christ, and to His resurrection, the evidence far exceeds what we have for those other events in history. The greatest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the multiple eyewitnesses and their accounts of people who testified to seeing Him with their own eyes. People who touched Him. They put their fingers inside the wounds in His side, in His hands, in His feet. They touched Him. They ate with Him. That hundreds of people were giving consistent eyewitness testimony. There were those that wanted to discount the resurrection. There were those that wanted to prove that it was wrong. They came along and said, no, no, no. He didn't really rise from the dead. But never did they produce a body. Never could they come and, find and present evidence of their own. They were never able to provide a shred of evidence that He was still dead even as much as they wanted to. Even their account of how the disciples stole the body of Jesus was shown to be fabricated. And their alternate history fell apart right away. Look at what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5-7. through He goes on and he says, "...He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas," that's Peter, "...then to the twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. And then they appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. This wasn't a story that was made up after uh, the the eyewitnesses were all dead. Paul's not writing this. Decades later, after all these people had been passed and gone, there was no opportunity for anybody to cross-examine all of this. These witnesses were still there. And you can go and you could talk to them and you could interrogate them and say, what did you see? And they were consistent. You see, if the resurrection was not true, then there would have been hundreds of witnesses that could have shown you an occupied tomb. They could have shown you the body. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical truth verified by great amounts of real evidence proving it was so. But I want you to think about the people that he mentions here in this passage. Think about the individuals who witnessed the resurrection and, and, and were testifying it in that day. It tells us that, that first He appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. What do we know about Peter? Just a couple days before, where was Peter? He said, I'll, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll go to the grave with you. I, I will be executed with you. And Jesus said, Peter, before he caught crow, crows, you're going to deny Me three times. And sure enough, he was sitting around a fire and somebody said, you were with him, weren't you? So said, I don't know him. A little girl came up to him. A servant girl. Came up to Peter and accused him and said, you were with Jesus. He didn't have enough guts to stand up to a servant girl and say, yes, I'm with him. He denied Jesus three times and he left there in tears. And yet, here's a person whose life was changed and who was testifying to the risen Christ and standing before thousands just weeks later declaring that Jesus Christ had been risen from the grave. He mentions 500 brothers who at one time were gathered around and saw Jesus alive. And he also appeared, he says, to James. This isn't James the Apostle, but James the brother of Jesus. What do we know about him? What was he saying about Jesus just a few days before Jesus was crucified? My brother's gone loopy. His family thought Jesus had really gone crazy. They they thought He had lost His mind. And so here's a person who thought that Jesus was insane. First of all, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Why can't you be more like your brother? What pressure. As we read the Gospels, we read about James, and and, and here's a person that did not believe. He didn't believe. He grew up with Jesus. Jesus. And he didn't believe that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. And when Jesus went out and He, and he, and he, he raised the dead, He raised Lazarus from the dead, He, he gave sight to the blind, he, he, he healed the deaf, the lame. He spoke like no man had ever spoken before. And His own half-brother James refused to believe that He was the Son of God. But then something happened after the resurrection. Jesus went and He personally met with His brother James. And this person who days before thought that Jesus was certifiably insane now became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical truth that's been verified by great amounts of real evidence proving that it was so. Listen to the words of the historian Thomas Arnold from Oxford University. He said, The evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up on an important case. I have myself done it many times over not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I've been used I have been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given as that Christ died and rose again from the grave. The Scripture declared the truth of the resurrection. History testifies to it as a real and true event And God was pleased to back it up with overwhelming historical evidence. But there's a third evidence which offers proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's the changed lives that display His grace. As we continue in our passage, Paul writes of himself. He says, Last of all, as the one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So not only had Peter's life been changed, here's a person, and along with the other disciples, who were cowering in an upper room. After Jesus had been crucified, they went into an upper room and they hid from the crowds. They hid from the religious leaders because they thought they were going to die. They thought that they were going to be persecuted as well. And they didn't know what to do without Jesus. But after Jesus rose from the dead, their lives were transformed. And within weeks, they were out publicly declaring that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And over those next few decades, each one of them was also per- were also persecuted and they also died for their faith because they believed it so firmly. James, the one who thought that Jesus was insane, became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and he preached it for the rest of his life. And Paul. He gives his own testimony here. Who is Paul? Paul was a person who was adamantly opposed to Jesus Christ in the church. And he was persecuting the saints. He was the one that led the way when they stoned Stephen until Jesus confronted him on the road to Emmaus. Not the road to Emmaus, the road to Damascus. And, uh, and there his life was changed forever. If you are a Christian and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, for, excuse me, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you've witnessed the grace of God in your own life. You and I have seen life after life changed by God's grace. And every believer is a testimony of the power of God. The transformation comes because of our standing with Jesus Christ. Not because of anything that we've done. None of us have achieved works that can save us in any way. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. By God's grace, through faith, He has transformed us. He has forgiven our sins. He's given us life and made us new people. We're told that in Christ, we were crucified with Christ. And we've been raised to new life. And we have witnessed the transforming power of God who poured out His grace on us. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Our Savior lives, and He is still working in our lives today. Now, I know that you may be here and you may not be convinced of the resurrection. You may have questions about the historicity and the eyewitnesses. If that's the case, I would challenge you to investigate it for yourself. See whether these things are so and if if you are right and the resurrection is a sham, then you've gained an excuse to enjoy next Easter and not to come to, to, to listen to some, somebody rant on. But if the resurrection is true, then this changes everything. John Adams, who later became the second president, said when he was defending the British soldiers who had fired the shots at the Boston Massacre, he said, facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And so that leads us to the second question. Why is this important? If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, why is that truly important? Verses 12-34 through offer a few reasons that I'd just like to summarize. We're not going to read the whole passage. We read it in, um, this morning at uh, our sunrise service. So I won't read it again right now. But first, without the resurrection, my friends, we perish. Without the resurrection, we perish. In twelve 12-19, Paul expresses that if Christ has not been raised, then everything that we do as Christians is in vain. It's useless. The message of the Gospel is a sham. You are still in your sins and accountable to a holy and righteous God that you cannot satisfy. And we are people above all to be pitied. Christians around the world continually, they're giving their lives all the time. We hear stories of people who have died for their faith because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they in their lives transformed and they believe in his resurrection and so people are still giving their lives today but my friends if jesus did not rise from the dead then it is all for nothing your reason for being here today is for nothing without the resurrection my friends we perish secondly in verses 20 to 28 paul details god's plan for the ages he shows how adam sinned and how God intends to bring about the Kingdom of God and subject all things to Jesus. Because of Adam's sin, death has come to all of us. Guilt has come to all of us. But in that same way, life comes to those who are in Christ. And when the end comes, Jesus is going to destroy all of the powers of darkness and all, the things, uh, all things are going to submit to Christ. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then God's plan failed. And if God's plan failed, then He is no God at all. Which leads us to the final point. Without the resurrection, the Christian life is a joke. It's a joke. Some of you celebrated April Fool's Day just a couple weeks ago. I was really disappointed that Google didn't reinstitute their, their April, annual April Fool's joke. They got me a couple times. I remember sniffing my screen one year because I was convinced I was going to be able to smell light. My wife remembers it too. Some of you guys have turned April 1st into an art. But I want you to understand that without the resurrection, if the resurrection is not true, then Easter is the real April Fool's. It is the true April Fool's Day. In verses 29 to 34, Paul expresses that there were Christians that were dying for their faith. There were Christians that were in Ephesus that were being fed to the lions in the arena, and people were cheering for their death. And yet they were going because they believed that firmly in Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, then the fight that we fight during this lifetime has absolutely no meaning. And his advice, verse 32, is this Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, then there's nothing better than that. But oh my friends, the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Very good. The Scriptures declare it to be true. History testifies to its veracity and changed lives display its effect. And my friends, this changes everything. The resurrection is real. God declares in 1 Corinthians 15 that some have no knowledge of God. And that's why, that is why we are called to know Christ and to make Him known. And so you are, again, we've said it before, but you are not businessmen who happen to be Christians. Rather, you are followers of Christ who happen to be businessmen. And through your business, you have the opportunity to know Christ and to make Him known you are not farmers who are Christians. Rather, you are followers of Christ who happen to be farmers. And through your work, you have the opportunity to put Jesus Christ on full display to those that are around you. You are not students who are Christians. Rather, you are followers of Jesus Christ who happen to be students. And through your life, you have the opportunity to serve as His ambassador of the One who conquered sin and who conquered death. No matter where God has put you in this life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is what you are first and foremost. And everything else is second to that. And it is our opportunity to put Him on display. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, let let today be the day of your salvation. If you're here today and you, you haven't put your faith in what He did on the cross and in the power of His resurrection, let today be the day that you receive eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. And I would love to visit with you and share with you how you may know for sure that you might have a relationship with the God who created you. The God who loves you. The God who took on flesh and died for you. If you hear all this and you have questions about the resurrection, you have questions about faith, or about how God made a way for you to be reconciled to your Creator through what Jesus did for you. Don't walk away without pursuing the answers to those questions. I, I would love to be able to visit with you some more. Well, so My friends, as we close our service today, we, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our, our praise team is going to lead us in one final song. Uh, I'm going to slip to the back and, and invite you to join me after everyone stands. And Just express to me uh, that you might have some questions or that you'd like to discuss how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But in the end, my friends, Jesus lives. He died, he was buried. The end for our Savior. For on the third day he was raised from the dead, and this changes everything. It changes the way we worship it changes the way we work. It changes how you do your chores at home. It changes how we change diapers. If Jesus is raised from the dead, it changes everything about life, even the stuff man- that we do ordinarily every day. It gives us purpose. It gives us something to rejoice over. It gives us something to live. With. And so let it change the way that we do all those things. Let it change what you watch, change what you read. Let it change how you treat people. Change how you love your wife and your husband and your children and your parents, because my friends, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's praise him. If you'd please stand, let's close by singing together.